Welcome to Get Off the Treadmill podcast for business leaders, where we are relentless about helping small business owners get off the treadmill and make meaning too. I'm Sandy Corrigan, and we are going to dive into another conversation that helps us make more money in less time, get off the treadmill, and rehumanize every business leader by giving you your brain back. My guest today is Paul Romig-Levitt. Paul has been a pastor and creative director in Denver, Colorado since 2001. He is the co-author of the book Q Lines, Time to Act, and has written, directed, and performed in plays that have been seen live by over 500,000 people around the country. Paul founded the nonprofit Torn Curtain Arts in 2006, which produces creative events for Christian nonprofits. And in 2018, he launched Kavod Media, which is a video company that serves mission-centered companies. Paul has been a member of 3 to 5 Club since 2018 and lives in Broomfield, Colorado with his wife and two daughters. So welcome, Paul Romig-Levitt. Paul, so excited. Thank you for taking the time to be with me virtually. I love being with you face-to-face, but at least we got to be virtual today. Yeah, And right. so welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Sandy. Thank you so much for having me on. I always love any opportunity I, I get uh, just to kind of speak with you and talk with you about, you know, the good we're putting into the world. So that's great. So you and I met at three to five club. And of course, this is, you know, a podcast that we interview business leaders, many of whom are involved in three to five clubs. And what that is for those of you listening again is an opportunity for small business owners and entrepreneurs to grow their business in three to five years so that they can actually make more money in less time and get freedom and focus on meaning and significance. Many are focused on legacy and transforming the world for good. Chuck likes to say, live well by doing good. I like to say, love well by doing good. So I kind of stole it from him. (laughs) No new ideas. And so you guys are definitely living well and loving well and transforming the world. So tell us, what Torn Curtain Arts is, and and even go back and tell us, how did you get this idea in the first place? Yeah, well, the story of Torn Curtain began back in 2006, when I was was working in church ministry, Christian ministry in, in a church in Parker. And at that time, I had been writing, directing, and performing for an, like a a Christian evangelical conference that would travel around the country and perform for teenagers and students. And I was a youth pastor at the time and also doing worship ministry. So doing performing music for church services and that kind of stuff. And (laughs) as I came to sort of like a bit of a crisis of faith and profession, we moved in, we helped start a, a church in Broomfield with some friends. And so down in there in the basement, we were living with another family, me, my wife, and our 10-month-old daughter. And I thought, what can I do that is, at the time, I was seeing such a, I'm a, I'm an actor, I'm a musician, I'm a creative, and so much of what I was seeing being labeled as Christian in terms of performing and all that kind of stuff was really like, the quality was really not great, and I wanted to change that. And so I thought, well, if I could really write something that I felt was better and for, for teenagers and also for other organizations. And um, that's basically where Torn Curtain started. And it was just for the first 10 years, really, 
about me just writing, directing, and performing for about 25 organizations around the country. Some, I don't know, 500,000 people, I, I, I kind of estimated around the country, saw stuff that I wrote, saw me perform or my team perform. But it was, it was largely very focused on me. And uh, I was dry, I was really running down and my family was paying the cost. And, and a lot of that was happening um, to me as I was working for churches. I was always doing maybe two or three part-time jobs just to keep this thing going. And, and then in, 20, in 2017, my friend Brian, uh, who had a very similar sort of career to me, worship leading in very large churches in Colorado, and, but also having this sort of ache of wanting to do something more and not really feeling it just dried out and burned out. And we decided we wanted to start talking about how to support creatives in the church. Uh, we had started to be exposed to some demographic research that was happening in the church around the country and how many people like us were just done with the church. So about 30 million people around the country, conservatively speaking. And so we, we thought that wasn't necessary. We, we felt like that was a problem and we wanted to try and start to facilitate conversations between the leadership of churches and creatives and help them create, make better art. So that's what Torn Curtain really became about starting in 2017. And really shortly after, that's when we met uh, Three to Five Club. And uh, that was like super fuel to our mission and, uh, and our vision. So that's kind of the, the, the overall story of Torn Curtain so far. How did you come up with a name? Well, yeah, it was so actually it, my wife and a couple other women wanted to start a Christian theater company and they were looking for a name and it was given to So I was just around the table and I had really always been drawn to the, the imagery around in the Christian story. There is this story in one of the gospels in which when Christ is crucified, there is this massive curtain that is in the very center of the the Jewish worship temple, like that happens, and it, it it signifies the space between people and the space, the sort of the holiest place uh, behind the curtain where God exists. And at that crucifixion moment, the the, the author, I I believe it was in the Matthew Gospel, if I'm not totally mistaken, the curtain tears, thereby signifying that. God is out of the box. God is not now confined to just behind a curtain, not not just in the temple, but God is on the loose. And it was, it's, you know, a very uh, provocative and disruptive sort of idea. Um, but that was what really uh, was attractive to me. So it had this connotation of both theatrics, there's a curtains and theatrics, and also this idea of we're about not keeping God or any sort of Christian spirituality within the confines of a Christian culture, but really expanding it and seeing where God is out in the wild. I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. So let's go back and talk more about you. Where did you grow up? Mm. And what was your background that led you to what you're doing now? Tell us just more uh, about you. Oh, thanks. So I grew up, I was born in Denver. And then I grew up in Greeley, Colorado. Uh, both my parents, uh, my mom is from Columbia, South America, and my dad is a native to Denver. And 
but I, and I have a brother. And so we, we both grew up in Greeley and grew up in a sort of generally evangelical Christian context. Both my parents grew up Catholic. And so having that sort of religious background um, really informed the way I grew up. But I was always kind of, a, I'll just say like a troublemaker. You know, I had a problem with authority at, at, at one point in my early life in sixth grade, I won seventh grade or something like that, actually uh, expelled from school from fighting. And so it was a pretty rough, I, and I'm sure I give my parents quite a, a heart attack often, but then it was through a local youth group, which was kind of like what I was confined to. My activities were like, okay, you can only go to church now. <laughs> had had what I, I think was kind of some mystical experience with, with, with the Christ and started to get a sense of purpose during that time. And then the community was really probably what made the difference. Youth pastors, friends of mine, actually just met yesterday with a friend of mine who was part of that, that initial group. And a shout out to Marty Reiswig. You know Marty, I believe. And so Marty and I have been friends since, you know, maybe I was 13, 14. Him and an, another group of guys were very formative to me in that in that group. So, but the whole time I was a performer and that that has both um, my, that's where my light and my dark comes from. Being a performer, way in which I try to get value from people, try to earn love. But it was also, you know, what opened doors for me and allowed me to do things, started playing music in my youth group, and then performing in theater in high school, then went to undergrad at Colorado Christian University, where I got my music ministry degree, but was also very active in the theater program there, and then continued to get little jobs as an actor and as a musician, working for churches, performing in different places around Colorado, but mostly with the, the organization Dare to Share and youth specialties and promise keepers and sort of those big conference ministries during the, during the late nineties. But that's kind of, that was my back, met my wife at college and she has, she was an actor. She is a, a wildly creative uh, writer, but um, her creativity is really around raising our kids right now. Our, my, my two daughters, my daughter, Stella and my daughter, Daly, who, who just basically had no choice. They were like, super dramatic kiddos now and um but yeah that's kind of in a nutshell <laughs> my story <laughs> i love that um i i don't know if i ever told you but i was a theater music double major in college oh i didn't know that, that is great. and so we'll have to talk about that another time because this is your podcast but it's just <laughs> funny because my kids were raised in a total artistic creative their dad was a gifted musician and, you know, a ranger and, you know, part of the Willow Creek Association right. with all of those arts. And so now we laugh, Tom and I laugh because all of our daughters are highly creative. Like just, uh -huh. and even our son-in-laws do film, you know, <laughs> it's just like, yeah. you know, in, yeah. in our blood, right. In our DNA. And I love what you said about, you know, God, being wildly out of the box and creative because I just think it's just impressed upon me every day in this COVID kind of pandemic environment about how much sunlight and nature and grounding and mm -hmm. being outdoors. And of course, you know, you are out here with the girls with the horses and animals yeah. and, you know, like 
I was talking to a friend of mine who does a lot of work in this realm in terms of, you know, kind of the energy we carry, the thoughts we're thinking, the feelings we're thinking, and how that can either kind of suck the air out of a space or add to something. And I think about that scripture that says all of creation groans for the sons of God to be revealed, which Mm -hmm. to me is all of creation is calling us all to be who we were always intended to be, to be magnificent and brilliant and collaborative and creative and to work together to transform and change the world. So, you know, whether it's in the church or outside the church, you know, there's such a need right? For us yeah. to come together and do that. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I, 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 one of the things that sort of like that, a mantra, I guess, so to speak, as, as I think about my ministry and, and also my work is that it all belongs. That's, that's essentially the, the mantra of the creative. They know they don't ever think about how something is just excluded or whatever. They think about how does it, how does it move the story along? How does it, and it's not like everything is good. It's just, it does belong. It, it, it's understanding things within a very, I, I guess creative is, is the idea. Like creative, one of the definitions that I heard was somebody who can find uncommon patterns, unexpected connections between different things. So when I understood that as a definition for creativity, then it expanded my palette beyond just the traditional concepts of creativity, which was, he's an actor, he's a painter, he's a singer. He's like, those are the people who get labeled creative and therefore anything that I do in the rest of my world in this, these other compartments aren't creative. And it's the same categories that we make for God. You know, if it's not explicitly this thing, that, then God isn't doing it, then God isn't there. But from the from the Christian narrative, that that really separated after because there was that concept before the crucifixion. God really only existed in, in these holy spaces and in a three-tiered reality. So up into the stars, up into the celestial heavens, that was God. Then God was in these very specific places, but then God was not in the rest of life. Actually, that wasn't the, the, the typical Jewish way. They were thinking about everything was spiritual, but the, the typical Greek or Roman way was to think about these things in very separate and distinct categories. And when I started to get into more into understanding business and threw along with three to five club, did I also see more of that too? Which was like, hey, there is, there is more of this connectivity through all the spheres of life. So it all belongs, my emotions and my, my finances, my strategy, my culture, my, you know, all those things, they all are interconnected. So that was a very exciting discovery. Hmm. Yeah, because look at how creative, I mean, we're both in a three to five club. In fact, we're in the same one. So yeah. Tom and I facilitate clubs and we're also in one so that we can participate in community building what we're building. And how often do we see, especially in our bottleneck portion, which is at the end of the club, we always have business owners get up and pose a certain situation, opportunity, challenge, obstacle. And then the group asks insightful, clarifying questions to understand what the issues really are. And then just 
Rain's creative ideas, you know, that the business owner may have thought of before, forgot to keep doing, or wow, that's an idea I had never considered. And so we encourage people to be open, to consider things that maybe don't feel right at first, that they end up maybe trying and they're amazing. And so I see that creativity in every meeting, but I see that creativity in every business, right? Every business leader has to be creative. We're gosh, we're reinventing ourselves at the speed of light <laughs> right now. And, and so, you know, this creativity in all of life right now is so needed. And I'm so thrilled you and Brian are bringing that. Um, I love your tagline. So tell everybody what your tagline is for Torn Curtain Arts and what yeah. that looks like. So we strengthen the creative soul of Denver churches. We even actually broaden that out a little bit more from strengthening the creative soul of Denver worship leaders. And, and the reason was, is because, again, people think about a box for worship leaders and they go, I'm not a worship leader because I'm not the guy with a guitar or a keyboard or whatever on stage doing the thing. But the definition of worship leaders are people who are out within the spiritual uh, within the, the sphere of life. So a lot of who we really minister to are executive church pastors and lead pastors, because they're the ones who own the responsibility of the direction of the church. And they feel most acutely the, the, the success of the, the worship gathering. And they don't necessarily think of themselves as creatives. They think about the worship leader as the creative, but breaking down those barriers and getting them to to talk is really the most important thing. So strengthening the creative soul is a distinction that we find very important because there is a difference between, in my opinion, being creative and being productive. And most of the time we choose being productive over being creative because being creative is a little more ambiguous. It's a little, little more nebulous and takes a little bit more time to develop. But without a good depth in your creativity, your productivity will suffer. It will become derivative of whatever you saw last, or it will be just a a repeat of what you've done. You'll go for the easiest thing if productivity is the highest goal, Um, because that is speed of execution. Productivity is really important. And I think most creatives get slammed into that box of productivity because they have in churches 52 weeks a year no break it comes Sunday comes every week and they've got to produce a program that is about an hour long every week and that program has to be interesting enough or compelling enough to keep people's attention like it is a communication event the church the church is a communication event and without dedicating intentional time to your creativity it just is meaningless and so that's what we're about we're about like getting higher leadership involved and with the creative so they feel safe to actually take time and create good stuff so i would say that's that's a i could go on and on about that but in a nutshell it's sort of what 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 i think it means and so do you and brian go in and create kind of a coaching consulting relationship with church leaders on the things they're trying to accomplish and how creativity can actually create better productivity or more satisfying productivity or tell yeah. us just a little bit because we might have some leaders in 
church organizations listening that go, I need that. And so what does that process look like? Yeah, we help in three ways, really. We do, most churches start with us by just asking us to come in and create some substitute worship leading. They're, they're worship leaders on the verge of burnout, or they just need a break, or their their worship leader has, is gone. They they only last, statistically speaking, like on average three years is a turnover for a worship, wow. leader, a worship leader. Why is that? Well, I think it, a big part of it is the the productivity creativity balance. There is they come in with often a cultural problem that needs to be fixed, and then that's all been placed on the mantle of the the worship leader to fix those sort of things. And in my some conversations that I've had with companies like Slingshot, a placement service, and their research is they they would say that Paul that you know the first two years are like the first two days on staff. So in order to get up to speed with the cultural values of a church, not only to just begin to start replicating, producing leaders that can lead without you, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's a, it takes a long time to learn a job and get up there, but the pace and the demand uh, on, I would say, lead pastors to produce. Like church plants, mostly are influenced from the the pace of Silicon Valley. So if they don't actually turn a profit, quote unquote, um, which is that get to self-sustaining within two years, they're for the most part going to be done. That to me is an unrealistic standard (laughs) for church world, but that's the standard that people have in their head. So that's what I think they, they grind them out. And so that's why I think the turnover is that high. That's one particular reason. I think there's other bigger shifts involved. But so one of the things is we just, we just come in and help worship leading churches to say, hey, we, we know production quality is high and we, we come in and keep your same production quality. Uh, we have about three other worship leaders that work with us and go to different churches, helping helped around six, seven churches this year with that. But then we also provide worship coaching. Right now we're, we're coaching at a, a, a large church and new a worship leader who's who's just taken over for the worship leader who moved into the executive pastor role and needs to develop higher level of skills of of leading groups, improving their music. So we come in that and that's been really gratifying too. Brian has been meeting mostly, it's been Brian coaching and uh, I fill then the creative consulting role, which is if a church has a special event, Christmas, Easter, my, my gifts are mostly in an ideas. So I come in and I give, I take, sort of collect the ideas of a, of a team, bring my own spin on it and produce this really compelling event. So right now we're doing the third year uh, for a Christmas Eve service in, in Littleton. And then, yeah, other conference events like Dare to Share still continue to work with them. Um, but that's when they need compelling content. So yeah, the worship leading, the coaching, and the creative consulting, when you're just stuck and you need some creativity, we come in and, and we've got a great new team member who is a screenwriter, has been selling shows and movie scripts and local guy. And he's on board helping churches come up with creative ideas um, for their services. So yeah, that's how we help. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, you also have another aspect to what you guys do and you're involved in video production. 
but not just for churches, right? For organizations, companies, you're working with a medical organization right now. So tell us a little bit about this because, you know, somebody might need you. (laughs) Right. And that's true. Like along the lines of that creative consulting, what I get involved in is with a lot of uh, people in production. And I myself have worked in production and corporate AV and then in uh, production management and have access to people with really great teams and contractors with, and so I've been creating now for the best eight, uh, past uh, two years, 18 months or so, live streaming installs, live streaming events for churches, been working for like groups like uh, Youth for Christ, the national chapter of Youth for Christ. Uh, with the Department of Neurosurgery at the school, uh, Colorado University, uh, helping them produce video. So it's not just churches, but m- what I would say mission-based organizations. People that want to tell a compelling story. One of our clients was a is an organization called Willie Pete, and Willie Pete is fantastic. They teach music to wounded warriors coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq. So they're teaching music. And these people are making transformation, many with with post-traumatic stress disorder and learning this new skill and and seeing this transformation in their life. And we get to be a part of sharing that story. That's been very gratifying. And and so I just light up when people have a great story to tell. And we we use fantastic gear to make it look compelling on just about any medium that you have. A lot of it is on is on web right now, but you know, some of these cameras and stuff like that is depending on what your budget is, that's what we 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 can do. I particularly like the scrappy small organizations. Uh, I find that they're the most fun to work with. They're they're innovative and creative. So I, I like working with those. So what I'm hearing is if you have a small business. And you, every small business owner has a compelling story. I don't care who they are. Sometimes they don't think that way. They don't realize they have a compelling story, but just in who they are and what it took to start a business and keep a business going. And so what I'm hearing is you have a model that potentially could help small business owners be able to get their story out in, in maybe a positioning or a branding or an ongoing story piece that you have those services you could provide for people as well. Yes, absolutely. That we love doing that. Just was working with a little dance studio here in Westminster to try and get them, get their story out there and, and get more. And especially right now where COVID has got everybody anxious and everybody's it's, I I think leading with empathy, leading with, with, with how we want to connect and community is, is vital. So we like being a part of t- telling that story for, for businesses. That's awesome. So I, we're going to tell people, in fact, let's just tell people right now how to contact you. We'll talk a little bit more, yeah. but let's just pause and say, how does somebody get a hold of you? And we'll put it in our show notes as well. Great. Yeah. Well, you can, you can contact me at paul at torn curtain arts, or you can go to our website, torncurtainarts.org. There is the other brand that we use for video production is called Kavod Media, K-A-V-O-D Media uh, com. And you can go there as well. And I'm Paul at Kavod Media right now. But we are in the process of actually merging both of those brands under Torn Curtain. So, but either way, you can find me at both of those brands right now. Awesome. I hope people will find you. 
So you met, you've, we've talked about three to five clubs a little bit and some people might think, wow, here are people doing ministry, but they're in a business community. And of course you and I have that background in ministry. I spent years and years in ministry and certainly, certainly from an organizational standpoint, wish I would have had all the three to five club tools in what we were doing at the time. Um, Because certainly good organization, good execution, building something that, you know, has purpose and mission and meaning is so important and doing it well. So how, how did you find three to five and how have you benefited? How have you, Brian, benefited? Yeah, love, love talking about three to five club and especially to ministry leaders, because it is one of those things where I was like, where were you when I was in ministry? Wow, yes. I've benefited from this. But I think most people find three to five club when they get tired of playing the game, like being on the treadmill, you know, riding on the tired, treadmill, right? Right. <laughs> and we have we had a friend, Brian and I had a friend from our college days who was he was doing great at his business consulting. He, uh, Josh Allen Dykstra, who I love him. I love that guy. (laughs) I love Josh. And Josh was the first one. He was like met with Brian and I, and he said, you know, I've been going to this group and maybe you should come. And we went to the downtown one first. I went to the downtown one first, then went in and just hung around. And I started to go like, Oh, like, and, you know, I, when Jack started talking, I was like, my notes were just filled. I couldn't get it down fast enough. Um, and it had also been sort of a great synthesizing of all this other wisdom that I had been learning from like, you know, like good to great and gosh, so many other things where it was like, oh, this is, this is really sound wisdom, but I could tell what was the most important thing was the community because you can get the information in the book you can get the information in a podcast or a video or whatever but it it would be the community that would make the difference and it was something we didn't have and so brian and i jumped on doing fast track which was basically kind of the sales course because we were ministry people we hadn't learned about that Um, and that's to me where what sealed the deal because from a ministry mindset what is the currency for me is loving people. Like, does this actually help me serve people? I really love to serve people. And when I felt like in that class that I was not expecting to hear that was, you now have permission to love people through business. And I saw more of a demonstration of generosity, more of this, a a real life action sort of thing, these, these values that I had thought really belonged only to the church. But they were here and, and it was also, it wasn't woo woo crap. Like Chuck would say, it's actually verifiable. I am reading right now, uh, Adam Grant's book, Give and Take, he, Adam Grant from the Morton School. And it further reinforces from a data perspective, from a research perspective that like loving people, serving people without this expectation of reward back, like actually makes you more successful. It actually makes you happier. It makes you more creative, everything. That mindset, that abundance mindset, like is the game changer for the whole thing. So that was really what kept us involved in three to five club. 
you know, we became part of a club in, tw- in 2018. And it has, yeah, I would say in the last, just on the, just on the revenue side of things, our com- Torn Curtain has grown at least 20% in these last two years, uh, each year. But the value that we have seen intangibly, I, I don't know if we could put a dollar sign on it. I think we tried at one point, maybe thinking there was some sort of like $100,000 value, uh, you know, in, in terms of worth. But that's, that's what I, we, we've really loved it. And we've really tried to get people involved. We've got other people on our team involved as well. So, Well, we do believe we're creating a movement of serve, don't sell. Yeah, that's what we that's how we call it. Right. And there is something about when we go into something with that mindset, it takes all the anxiety out of it. Right. And for me, because I come from a same faith based place, you do not religious, but spiritual and looking for God in everything. Yeah. Isn't that the message? It's like. Jesus served, he didn't sell. You know? And um, and I love the way that we get to work that out in community. And I love that we talk about in three to five clubs. We're the only kind of group. So there's lots of other networking groups, masterminds, good coaching groups who all have things to offer. But the differentiator is that we don't want to help people just build a bigger, better treadmill. Yeah, yeah. We want to help them get off in such a way that they can live out the other aspects of their life profoundly. Right. So if, if we get off the treadmill, but we still love what we're doing, we can stay involved. But now if we have more time and more freedom and more resources, now what else that we dream about doing, could we be doing as well as, you know, time for more time for family relationships, et cetera. And, et cetera. And so people will people and ask me, well, what's the difference between you and this or you and this or you and this, that's it. it and so mm-hmm. for the person that just says, I want to do bigger, better till I die. Yeah. Sometimes we're not the community for them, but most business owners get to a point where they're like, yeah, I'm done being on the hamster wheel or the treadmill yeah. or the Peloton bike. Even, you know, mm-hmm. I want more out of my life. How can I build my business to fund what we say is our ideal lifestyle. What does that look like? Well, and I think that one thing you kind of touch on is we sort of stand in contrast to a quick fix strategy around, around your life. Like there's a lot of people who are looking for groups, business development groups or whatever, but they, they, they're driven there from some sort of pain point. They know they're on, they know this does not feel right. I'm on a treadmill. They don't have the language for that yet. But they're just going, what is the thing? Give me the pill. Give me the thing that's going to fix it right now. And I could tell that early on in the group, I was like, I'm not in that group. And thank God, because as if you get to anything that promises that kind of result in that amount of time, you're going to lose it with that, that same amount of time. This I knew was going to be a long game. And that was the most attractive piece to me that I was actually trying to change something fundamentally, like trying to change something about myself and the way I thought. And that is not an easy thing. That is a very difficult thing to do because it's not just like, here's a, here's a way where you can get more top line revenue. But if you have a, if you have an open bucket, like it doesn't matter how much 
money you put into that thing, if your culture's not good, if you don't have a good structure, if you don't have good wisdom on your team, like you are just going to lose as much or more money that you put into it. And, and that was the sort of thing I was going, I want to fundamentally shift. And that is definitely what I've seen so far with three to five club. And also just thinking like feeling now two years in some, at some level, I'm going like, man, I'm just getting started. I'm, I'm just getting started. We've seen so much improvement, but this is, it is a lifestyle kind of thing um, where, uh, and going back to what you said about bottlenecks, the thing about bottlenecks that I think is probably the most important thing is not the, the solutions that those people get in that moment. Those are very helpful, but it's the habit of having a bottleneck. It's the practice of having a bottleneck because in that you're practicing vulnerability and you're practicing being able to receive and that makes you therefore more creative because you've put humility right kind of in the center of it. And, and I don't think you can actually be creative without vulnerability. Mm, um, I think you can be productive, but I don't think you can be creative without vulnerability. And that's the habit that I go, wow, this is gold. This is fantastic. So, And yeah. I don't know about you, but every time I do a bottleneck, I feel extremely cared about. Yes. Like just yeah. so loved and cared about. And I've never felt that any, I've never felt that level of that anywhere else. Like it's just because everybody presses in and, you know, Tom and I've been involved for 10 years with this community. And every time we get to go to a club or facilitate a club or get to go to an event, we so look forward to the people. Yeah. Like it's such a quality, like valued, like-minded, like-hearted community of people in any club, you know, in any club you go to. Yeah. And I think that's unique. It's really unique, especially yeah. for that long of a period of time, you know? So we hope that this conversation will inspire some leaders in organizations, whether they're for-profit or not-for-profit yeah. to consider visiting. We have a three to five club.com. I'll say that again. It's the number three the word T-O, the number five club.com. You can go there and see where all the clubs are. We actually have clubs in Ireland, in Africa, in Pennsylvania, in Virginia. Um, we're talking to someone in Australia, talk to some people in England, and then we've got them certainly in Denver and we've got virtual clubs. So we, we really want to create a movement where business owners and leaders of organizations can be in community, getting the help and the support that they need to live out who they are and what they dream and are passionate about. So come one, come all, come check it out. Right. Please, please do. Um, And if you want to see Paul and I, you can see us on Wednesdays (laughs) on the first and third Wednesdays from 11 to one, we'll just plug our club. Let's, let's kind of, as we wind up here, what else is really important for you to tell everybody or speak out loud for you right now in terms of the change that you want to see in the world and Like, I love your passion that through creativity, you're communicating love and kindness and collaboration and community. But what do you you want to kind of leave people with today? I I suppose the thing that's on my mind, on my heart right now is it it really comes from some study that I've done in known as family systems theory, Bowen theory. 
And the idea, the basic premise of Bowen theory is that we can't really understand ourselves outside of understanding the system that we come from. And we are part of a system. And so in this time where we are, I'm not sure where, when this will air, but I, I imagine this will be pertinent at any time you listen to it, is that we are more and more uh, believing that we can be divided, that we can exist, that we can um, survive separate from one another. Call it the rugged, the, the John Wayne or rugged individualism, right. right? Right. And I heard Brene Brown actually just say it this way. It was like on our tombstone in America, it will say death by rugged individualism. And that to me is what I'm ultimately trying to solve is this belief that I can make it alone. And our, and our politics and our society, all this kind of stuff, is I don't need you. And, you. and what you do has no impact on me. And what I do has no impact on you. But a family systems theory would understand that, that there is no you and me, there is us. So if there is, is, is problems on the other side of the country or in my state, that isn't their problem, it's my problem. Because we are in the same system. We're connected in that way. And so there is some level of responsibility I have. Now, I can't own all of the world's problems. I, 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 don't, I have a pretty active savior complex that I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to recover from, no question. Yeah. <laughs> but I do know, and, and then and to be honest, like I need to, I need to get uh, more curious and more interested in the system that's happening internally. My, my, my family of origin, my, my, my emotional systems. And I'm going, what is it that I want to fix everything? Why do I want it? What is that driven? Why, why can't I just enjoy something? Why all those sort of things. But I would guess I would say that what I would leave people with is you're responsible. You're, res- you're, res- you can respond is you are responsible. You can respond to the, the, the situation that you have in your life, to the people around you and to even greater, greater systems that you're a part of and don't back down from that. Um, get curious, get interested about, about the system you're a part of. So that's basically, I've had so many conversations this week alone about this very topic. We need to come back together and do a whole podcast on just this, <laughs> maybe oh, get absolutely. several people yes. right involved in talking about our ability to respond, that we have this amazing, mm-hmm. incredible ability to respond in all different ways and you said it if we're curious and we pause we can choose a better response i can choose a better response right than if i'm just biting my husband's head off because he pushed my button for the day or sending off a text or an email because i'm triggered by something i ought to be looking at yeah (laughs) because reacting is automatic like we cannot often choose our reactions like they'll happen to us, but our responses are choices. So yep. moving from reactive to responsive is a big shift. So we all need to go back this week and read Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Yes. <laughs> the master oh. at talking about being in a terrible situation and being yes. able to do that. But I've loved this. I mean, you and I could talk for hours and hours. So we are going to have to schedule another one. 
Yes. And I do hope you'll reach out to Paul and Paul again, tell everybody your contact information, how to get a hold of you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sandy. And yes, uh, this was lovely, wonderful. And you can reach me again at torncurtainarts.org. That's T-O-R-N-C-U-R-T-A-I-N-A-R-T-S dot O-R-G. And uh, you can reach me there. That's probably the quickest way. We're also on the whole social medias, all that kind of stuff. You can look us up, Torn Curtain Arts there. And, um, but yeah, thanks again. Thank you. And we look forward to lots more. So keep loving and living well by doing good this week. Thanks for joining us today. If this podcast was helpful, please subscribe by computer or phone or connect with us at www.the3to5club.com. Discover how you can get off the treadmill, make more money and find more meaning by contacting us at grow at 3to5club.com.